Uh, a friend of mine asked me one time, he said, hey, would you, do you want to come help me uh, build a shed? There was a friend of ours in their backyard. They wanted to, to build a shed, and, and, and Greg and George, they had a lot of construction experience. They had uh, uh, framed houses uh, t- together, and they uh, didn't know if you know, they were getting paid by their friend to do this job. They didn't know if I wanted to make it a little extra money. And so as a single guy who had nothing but time on his hands, I thought, hey, this might be fun. And so we got together, and we were building this little shed in the backyard uh, together. And so they, I was the, uh, the low man on uh, this three-man crew, and I knew what tools were, and I generally knew how they were used. Uh, but I, I learned some things over that Labor Day weekend about uh, alternative uses to, to tools, how some tools, you typically use them one way, but they can be used for other things as well. And at the end of the weekend, we had built this really nice shed, and it, it probably is still there today. Uh, I, I would hope so, because uh, they did a lot more of the work, and I just made sure things were in the right place. And so one of the things that you need on, uh, if you're in a, on a construction site when you're trying to build something is a hammer, right? And a hammer is generally used to do what? Drive nails. Yeah, you, you, use, you use that one in to drive the nails. And, and, and if you're like me, sometimes the nail's going crooked. And, and so sometimes, you, or, or you need to remove a nail. And so they have this, there's that handy claw on the other side, and you can just whip, whip those things out. But did you know that claw has an alternative use? And so I learned that a hammer isn't just a hammer, but it can also be called a hammer saw. And so sometimes those pieces weren't quite going together right, and they needed to trim a little bit off. And all of a sudden, I saw my buddy Greg take the claw into the hammer, and he's just wailing on this two-by-four. I'm like, I'm, like I'm looking, I'm confused. And he's like, hammer saw. He trimmed it back. He trimmed up whatever we needed to trim. And, and then they popped it together, and it, it, it all... And so to this day, sometimes you use the hammer and sometimes you have to use the the, the hammer saw. They had both, like I said, both framed houses. And so they, we had, we weren't nailing in all the the nails for all the studs and the headers and all that. No, no, no. We had those nice pneumatic tools, right? Nailers. And they're like, hey, Mike, have you ever used one of these things? I'm like, no. And so they had this big framing nailer. And uh, here's how you do it. You, you, you stand on the stud, and you hold the header in place, and you bend over, and you go, pop, pop. You know, Greg, show me once, show me twice. I'm like, you want to try it, Mike? Sure. So I get over there. I stand on the stud. I hold the header. And it's like, I about popped two nails into my shin. At that point, I realized, I'll just bring the two-by-fours over and hold them in place, and you guys do all the nailing. Because I, <laughs> that thing had kick and recoil, and I was like, I, I thought it was going to keep going right on up the board and into my shin, and that would have been a, a, a waste of all the money that I was going to earn that weekend building this shed. But you think, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that would be used. It would be a quicker way to put all those uh, pieces together. But did you know that a framing nailer could also be uh, a, a fire ant exterminator? See, in the South, they have these awful creatures called fire ants. I don't know if you've ever been to the South, but uh, they, uh, in Texas, they are the state animal. And so just to just let you know, they are these little creatures. You think, oh, it's, it's an ant. We don't like ants. Ants are pests. No, these ants are like ants on steroids. They will attack you aggressively and bite you and leave welts like all over the place. And so they had, in our friend's backyard, they had fire ant hills all over the place. And so Greg was up on the roof of the shed. And there were several fire ant nest uh, mounds down below. And Greg holds back the safety and fires a couple of framing nails right into the fire ant hole. That did not make them happy, um, but I'm sure it killed a few. And so uh, n- none of those uses are probably OSHA 
uh, approved. And so they, they probably don't you know, smile upon the uh, hammer saw and they probably don't think that the framing nails should be used, just fired randomly off into anthills. Ant but sometimes, sometimes you have to make do with the tools that you have. Have you ever been there doing a house project? You're trying to build something, you're trying to put something together and you don't quite have the right tool. So you use what you got to try to get the job done. Good thing, God doesn't leave us that way. God gives us just the tools we need to, make, to, to, to do what he needs us to do. If we pretend that the, the spiritual gifts that we have are like tools in our tool belt, unlike in real life where you need to have one of everything you don't need and two of everything you do, God gives us everything that we need so that we can glorify him with the gifts and abilities he's given us. God gives us everything that we need. And if there's, a, if there's a tool that you don't have, someone else probably has it. And God wants you to, to work together to accomplish his task. And so when we individually bring our tools together, God can do his recreative work through us. So if you would, turn with me today <clears throat> to Acts chapter 13. We've been going through the book of Acts. We've been uh, looking at these eight different quality characteristics. And so we've covered, uh, I think, just about all of them at least once. And we're going to kind of go through and see how they continue to flesh themselves out throughout uh, the, the, the life of the early church. And today we're going to see how God used the gifts of, of a few men uh, to accomplish, to, to even uh, expand uh, the, the, the work and the mission of God throughout the known world. Uh, a little disclaimer, there is a name in this group that I will say that sounds awfully insensitive, and, uh, but uh, the, from the best that I can tell, from the, from the best um, uh, research I've been able to do, uh, this is the accurate way of saying it, and it'll make sense when, I, when, when we get to that point. Um, but just want to give that disclaimer that I looked and looked and looked because I wanted to make sure that I was going to say it the right way because I did not want to mess up like I almost did a couple weeks ago. So here we go. Acts chapter 13, Luke has given us this, uh, this rundown of where things are at uh, in the church. And this is what he writes for us. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so we, we see uh, Barnabas, we see Saul, we see the church there in Antioch, and they were gathering together. And it, 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 it's interesting how God works when his people gather together. They were gathered together, they were worshiping the Lord, and they were fasting. And, and it's interesting as we get together, as we are, uh, find ourselves in these kind of moments, we find ourselves in moments of corporate worship, how sometimes God uses a song. God uses something that is said from the stage. God says, uses something that is shared in conversation to, to touch our hearts, to inspire us, to convict us, to, to, to get us to think about something maybe a little bit differently than we have before. Uh, this summer, we're about ready to send a number of kids off to camp. Uh, this week is, our, is middle school week at camp. And so David's been working all week because he's the dean of that week. He's, he's getting things ready for, for our middle schoolers and the middle schoolers of, our, of those in our church camp family to, to, to come to camp and have a moment with God. Throughout the summer, we'll have opportunities for our high schools and our elementary schools to go as well. 
And it's interesting how in those moments, away from home, away from the distractions, that sometimes God can speak to our young people and encourage them to love God more, to encourage them to make decisions about about, uh, what their future might look like, how they can serve, how they can uh, be used by God. And it's interesting how these moments even happen for us as adults. When God's people, come together, God's people come together, His Spirit can move and can prompt us for service, for ministry, and for action. I, I can distinctly recall this happening twice in my life. I'm sure it's happened more times, but two times come vividly to mind. Uh, one time was in college. Uh, the, the Bible college that Skay and I went to had a special weekend for middle schoolers every fall. And so I don't remember if it was my freshman year or my sophomore year, uh, but during one of the main sessions, uh, I, I don't remember who the speaker was. I don't remember what he was talking about. I do remember uh, pretty distinctly being in, uh, in the multi-purpose room where we had, our, I was like sitting somewhere on the basketball court between uh, the, mid, the, the, the center line and the, the top of the three-point circle. That's kind of where I was sitting at this, the, for this session. And, was, and, and I remember that somewhere that they're, they're talking about how there's this church in the area that needed someone to come and be there, a youth minister on the weekend. Maybe it was a student, maybe it was someone from the area, maybe it was someone from a local church who, who was looking to gain the ministry and, and wanted to, to, to try and maybe uh, offer their services to this church. And I could hear God kind of just like, can't feel God tapping me on the shoulder. Say, Mike, you should do that. Mike, you should, you should try, you should apply, you should think about getting, becoming a, a youth minister at a local church. And soon enough, I became, uh, I, I, it wasn't that church that I, I became a youth minister at, but there was a, a church in Southeast Kansas, in Coffeyville, Kansas, uh, where I became uh, their weekend youth minister. I was there for almost two years. And the, the, the only thing about uh, Coffeyville, Kansas that has any connection to this area is that Walter Johnson, who used to pitch for the Washington Senators, uh, grew up in that area. And so if you're a Washington Senators fan from back in the day, uh, I, I see a lot of Senators jerseys here today. Um, uh, he, he grew up in that area. And there's another time, it was my senior year, my last year of college. Uh, the summer before, I had gone on a month-long mission trip to the Philippines. And uh, we, we, the, the same organization that we went with was doing this special uh, missions kind of conference that fall. And so a bunch of the people who, was on, who were on the, that mission trip with us, we were all getting together kind of as a reunion at this this, this conference for this weekend. And uh, so a lot of us had gone down. We were, we were all there. And uh, once again, I don't remember who the speaker was. I don't remember what he was talking about. But in the, middle of his, in the middle of his talk, in the middle of the sermon he was given, I could sense God saying, you need to go back to the Philippines. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't my direction. That wasn't, I, I, was, I was looking at, at, at either going into youth ministry or being a, a preacher somewhere. I had no intent of going back to the Philippines. I was like, hey, you could probably do that. You should probably do that. And so I began to, run costs and figure out how much I would need to raise and you know, figure out what, what, what I would need to do, who, who I would need to call, and began to put those pieces together. And lo and behold, all of those pieces came together. And for the first year after I graduated, I went and, and taught in a Bible college and helped plant a church in Baguio City, Philippines. Sometimes in those moments of corporate worship, we can sense the presence of God, and he can prompt us and, and lead us into action. When we place ourselves in the midst of God's people in worship, God's spirit can call us and move us in the direction that God wants us to go. And so when we look at the church at Antioch, they had prophets and teachers. And sometimes we look at them and we go, ooh, whoa, they, 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 they are like special, super holy people. Because sometimes we hear that word prophet and we begin to think of fortune telling, future telling, right? 
They go, oh, these are, these are people who see into the future and, and, and can tell us what's going to happen and prepare us for that. But if you look throughout Scripture, really only a narrow slice of prophecy is future telling. Most of what the prophets did was forth telling, was just speaking the word of God, was speaking God's message to his people. You read through most of the, the, the prophets in, in the Old Testament, they're, they're not saying when something's going to happen. They're not even giving clues of, about what would be like when something's going to happen. <clears throat> what they're saying is, hey, get in line with God, follow God. They're telling people how to follow God. And so they would speak God's inspired word to people. I'm sure there are many things that the prophets said that were not written down. As they shared God's heart with the people of Israel to help them follow God more closely. They had prophets. They had people who spoke kind of inspired word. But they also had teachers. Teachers who could edify and who could, who could build up, who could encourage, who could, who could teach and help people understand what some of those things that the prophets may have been sharing. He's like, what does that word mean? What does, what does this mean? And the teachers may be, uh, were able to help break down what was being said so that people could understand. This is the church had prophets and they had teachers. And, and when we look through that list, if you've been in church long enough, a couple of those names sound familiar. And you know, we've talked about Barnabas a lot here in the last few weeks. So he uh, kind of came on the scene by helping out in need, by selling some property and giving it to the church so that they could use it to meet the needs of those around them. They, later on, they sent uh, Barnabas to Antioch so that he could help uh, encourage and train leaders in the church there. And when things got so big, he went and he had, he had to get his buddy Saul from Tarsus. And he went and he goes to Saul's hometown. He finds Saul. He brings him there. They do this work together. The church continues to grow. When we see Barnabas and Saul, we think these two guys, these two guys are, are both alike in their mission, but they are like almost opposite of each other in personality. Barnabas is known as a son of encouragement. He's the kind of guy you want on, on the scene of a, of a new church as people are coming to faith and, and maybe need some help and some explanation. You know, he's there to encourage them, help teach them kind of those, those little bits along the way so they can feel more confident in their faith. But then you have Saul. And we know better as the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote uh, most uh, of, of the documents that, that form our New Testament. And he was brought up in the teaching of the Pharisees, which is a Jewish leadership, a Jewish kind of party. <clears throat> and they were very strict and they were very rigid. And they had a great understanding of Scripture. But they were, he, he was an excellent debater. And probably uh, from his teaching and from his uh, from his uh, being brought up in, the, in you know, under the, these 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 great teachers, they were sep- they had these competing but uh, complementary gifts. You bring Paul in, and he's there to to kind of help those who are kind of on the edges, who are on the fringes, who might be uh, the, the most opposed. Because back then, the kind of debate was one of the the primary learning styles. They would ask questions and debate back and forth and eventually come to what they would see as the truth. And then you have Barnabas come in and he was like the, you know, you have good cop, bad cop. Paul was a little more bad cop. Barnabas was a little more good cop. Came in and they paired together to help advance the mission. And then in there we have these names. We have some people who we don't really know who they are. This is their 15 minutes of fame. 
And, and, and Simeon was called Niger. And, and, and we, we think, man, that's kind of, that, that feels uh, rough to us. It feels like, it's like what, what, are we, can we say that? But back then, uh, it, it seemed to be a respectable common Roman name. It is the Latin word for black. So it may have been given to him because he may have had darker complexion. It's believed that he may have come from a group of converts from North Africa. And being that his name was a more common Roman name, it's thought that he might have had Roman citizenship. So he might have been an important individual, someone who, they, who came to faith, someone who became very important and influential in the life of the church there in Antioch. And then we have this other name. You know, we, all we know about Lucius is he's from you know, Cyrene. But you have Manian. I think that's how you pronounce his name. If not, that's a lot of letters together that I would never put together in that order. And it says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So Herod is a name that you hear often. Herod, who wants to kill baby Jesus, but this is not that Herod. This Herod, the Tetrarch, is that Herod's son. That was, and so that was Herod the Great who wanted to kill baby Jesus. And then Herod the Tetrarch is his son who comes on, comes on a little bit later. And and he is the one who beheads John the Baptist. He's the one who wants to have a, an audience with Jesus and has that conversation with Jesus the, the, the night before he is crucified, or the morning he's crucified. And that Herod, uh, earlier on in the book of Acts, he dies because he's very prideful and God strikes him dead. And so this guy, Manian, grew up with Herod. And so it's likely that he, his family were, were somehow slaves in Herod's household. And so uh, he was then brought in and he was allowed to be brought up and raised with Herod. That way he had some playmates. And th- this was uh, fairly common at this time, uh, you know, around this time. And as he it comes up and a lot of times the, these, the influential people, the, the, the son would then free his childhood friend. And so he had a lot of influence. He had a lot of uh, a position because of his connection with the Herods. And so uh, he, as he is there, he had some connection with those who are around. And as he uh, comes to faith, um, he also finds himself in a role of leadership there in the Church of Acts, uh, Church of Antioch. These were the primary teachers, and they were, they were uh, they, they're a very diverse group. You have Barnabas, who grew up in Cyprus. You have Saul, who grew up in Tarsus. They, 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 they both grew up with a very strong Jewish background. You have these other guys who kind of come from, from more of a, a, G, a Greek or Gentile um, uh, background. And, and they, as they work together to empower the church, to grow the church, we see the church becoming this growing, diverse body in Antioch. And they're leading the people through this time of fasting. And we don't know what the, what the fast was about. We don't even know how long the fast was. Maybe it was, maybe it was just, uh, just a day. Maybe it was a week. Maybe they're they, they sensing as, the, as, as a church body that, 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 thing, that, that things were needing to change. There was something that God was calling them to. And so they were seeking God through prayer and worship and fasting. And they were together in this moment. And, and God uh, his work speaks through his Holy Spirit and says, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to do. Have you ever been in maybe a worship setting? Maybe you've been having some time with God. You've been reading scripture. You've been praying and you, you sense a call in your heart. Almost as if God is right there talking to you. He says, I want you to do this. And sometimes we begin to go, 
Is that God or is that, is that the pizza that I ate last night? Right? Oh, man, some, some, something's not right with my belly. I'm like, maybe it's indigestion. Maybe I'm just, sometimes we want to push it off to the side and we go, I can't do that. It's, it's just me. Do I have the tools? Do I have the gifts? Do I, do, do I have the ability to do what God, God, God couldn't possibly call me to do that? And who, know, who knows if Barnabas and Saul knew what God had called them to do yet? Maybe it was like, God wants us to go do something. Maybe they knew and they're like, do we, re-? I mean, this is Antioch. Antioch is this big metropolis. We're having, I mean, there's a lot of people. There's a big work going on here. Maybe we, shouldn't, maybe we should just stay here in, in the back of their mind. You guys say, no, 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 I need you to, I need you to leave. I need, I need you to go somewhere else. I need you to take a step out of the nest. I need you to take a big step of faith. I need you to get out of the boat and walk on the water and f- trust me for that next step. Trust me for where you're about ready to go. And we aren't let in what they were thinking. They were doubting. They weren't sure. But what we do know is that throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we end up following Barnabas and Saul. And then we end up just following Paul. Barnabas and Paul have a, have, a, have a split here after a little while, and they're going to go in different directions. We're going to follow Paul, and Paul's going to go back around to, the, to, to all the known world, and he's going to plant churches everywhere. And he's going to use the gifts God has given him to, to knock down walls, cultural walls, cultural barriers. He, he's going to introduce Jesus to all sorts of people, those who, who might understand Jewish scripture and those who have never heard of any of the Jewish scriptures. And we're going to see Barnabas come alongside, and, and especially on this first trip, to encourage those. They're going to work together as a team. And so maybe God's called you to do something, and you're like, I don't have all the gifts. But maybe he needs you to go first, because someone else has those other gifts. He might need you to be a Barnabas. He might need you to be a Saul. And may, maybe you're the one, you're like, I, I, I need the other. And, and maybe if you, as you go first, maybe the other one will say, hey, I, maybe I'll come alongside. Or maybe you know what you need. Maybe you know what you lack. And you can go to that person and say, hey, would you help me? Would you help me do this? They had this period of intense fasting and prayer, this intense uh, season of devotion. Because they're seeing that they were expecting God to act and move. And so do we expect God to act and move in our midst? Or do we just go through the motions? I think they were fasting and praying because they were expecting God to do something. They didn't know what was next. They didn't know what was going to happen. They knew something needed to change. So as they come to God, the Holy Spirit speaks, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And so they did. They placed their hands upon him, and they sent them off. And they sent them off on what becomes known as Paul's first missionary journey. And he goes all throughout modern, what we know as modern-day Turkey. And they plant churches all over the place, churches that eventually grow and become influential and powerful in, in, the, in the Roman Empire. And Paul will they'll come back and. And, and they'll go again, and they'll come back, and they'll, they'll go again. And we see all these different places, all these uh, different opportunities that Paul has to share the gospel all throughout the known world. And you might be sitting here today going, Mike, I am not feeling called to go to Turkey. 
I mean, I'll eat turkey for lunch. I might maybe bring me a turkey sandwich to the park, but I, I am not going. To, that's okay. God may not be calling you to turkey, but he might be calling you to go across the street. He might be calling you to build that relationship, rebuild that relationship with that friend from long ago, to make that phone call, to take that step, to go and to begin to share with someone. See, God gifts us in different ways to do different things. Some things are up front. Some people are like, Mike, I could never do what you do. And, and that's okay because I don't do details very well always. You know, I, 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 the, the details I do well, I can do really well, but some other things, they just get out there. I'm like, ah, I just kind of back away. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing because sometimes I need, to be, <laughs> I need to make sure those details get done. I'm like, ah. But you're like, man, details, I love details. I'll make plans. I'll do these. And we all have these different parts that we play, these different roles that we can do, these different things that, that we can bring to the table, that we can bring to the team. Not everybody is the home run hitter. And not everybody can be the, slow, the, the short, fast guy. Yeah, not, everybody, not everybody on a basketball team is going to be Shaquille O'Neal. Not everybody can be Michael Jordan. But we need all the different parts of the team to play a part to reach our goal. So what gifts do you have? Maybe you're like, I, I don't know. And so the first step, the first thing we need to do is discover your gifts. What is it that you are either good at? What is it that you've been gifted to do? What is it that you're passionate about? What is it, how, how is it that God has wired you specifically? Because you're different than me and I'm different than you. We're all different from each other, but we all uh, serve the same God and he's given us these different tools that we can all bring together to accomplish his will. And so maybe today you need to pull out your phone and, you can go to the website, placeministries.org. If you do it on your phone, they're going to direct you to download the My Spiritual Gifts app, which is available in both the Android and the Apple Store. You take, they'll give you a battery of questions, and, and in that battery of questions, they're going to ask you certain, all certain things. You can say, hey, yeah, that, that's like me, and that's not like me, and that's kind of like me, and you can answer all these questions on down. And, and at the end, they'll say, hey, he, here is how you rank with all these different gifts that are found in Scripture. And you might go, wow, this is exactly who I am. You might also go, wow, I didn't know that about myself. And so if you take that test, if you got that and shoot that to me, we will have kind of form a database of things that we can begin to put together. And if we need help in certain aspects or something, hey, we need someone who's good at that. Hey, we, find, we can find how you're gifted, how you, what you bring to the team so that we can accomplish God's mission better here. So if you don't know what your gifts are, the first thing we need to do is discover what those are. And, and then from there, we need to develop them, right? I mean, very few uh, uh, musicians, very few athletes uh, uh, just are born ready to play ball, ready to play music. You know, it takes years and years of training. It takes years and years of practice, years and years uh, 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 of work to get good at their craft so they can, they can do what they do. Same is true for, uh, you know, for whatever field you are in, whatever it is that you do. You, know, you, you don't show up on the scene the first day and like, be amazing. You might be amazing for a first day person, but hopefully that you don't peak that early, right? Man, knocked out of the park the first day and I can just coast through it. No, no, the, you, you should get better at what you do. As you, as you, the harder you work, the, the longer you work, the better you should get at whatever it is that you're doing. So we should always be developing. So, so one, way, one way you can do that is you can maybe find books about how you're gifted. 
You know, hey, how can I use this? How can I, how can I do this better? But another, another way, and uh, it could just be trial and error. You're okay, I'm good at this, and I think I can do that here. And you step into that and go, okay, let me try that for a little while. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, because uh, it's not really working right. And then try somewhere else. And the more we put ourselves in positions to use the gifts that we have, helps us improve on them and helps us figure out how we can best use the gifts we have and the passions we have to glorify God. Once we've discovered our gifts and we've developed our gifts, it's time to deploy our gifts. They were there in worship. They gathered together as a church family. God says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And Barnabas and Saul didn't just suddenly go, all right, we're the set apart ones. Look at us, we're set apart. They went. They left. They deployed their gifts. What God has, how God had wired them, how God had gifted them. They put them into put them, they put them into use. They put them into service. And so as they left there, they would go to all sorts of places using their gifts. And all of a sudden the influence of the church spread. Started in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and eventually spread to the ends of the world. And so God has gifted you. Have you discovered what those are? Do do you know how God has wired you? Have you worked on developing those gifts? Have you put yourself in position to be deployed into God's service? So today, as we think about how we can begin to, to, to put this text, this um, piece of scripture into action, maybe a next step for you is to find a place to serve. Maybe, hey, Mike, I'm going to do this. I'm going to discover my gifts. I'm going to begin to develop them. And I'm going I'm to try them out in different areas. I'm going to put myself in a position to serve. And it may be up front. It may be behind the scenes. You might, Mike, I never want to be seen doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing. I, I want my service to be in the shadows. Can I be in the shadows? I'm sure we can find places in the shadows that, that are not out in front. If you're like, hey, Mike, I want to be out in front. Uh, maybe there's places that we can put you that are a little more, you know, hey, and maybe you enjoy teaching. Maybe you enjoy uh, uh, just staying behind and doing other things, working in, in, in the background, taking care of all the details so that others can do what they do better. Maybe where you serve is in the church building. Maybe you serve on a Sunday morning or somewhere, something, something that we do in this place. But maybe what, where, you, where you'll shine and where you'll serve best is somewhere out in the community, building bridges with people, building, building, building bridges into others' lives who are far from God so that we can then share with them the gospel of God's grace, that we can tell them about a God who loves them no matter where they are. You might know what your gift is. You might even know where you would like to serve. Maybe it's like, hey, I know how I want to serve. I just haven't found the place. And how, how, how do I get from where I'm at to where I want to serve? Maybe you also want to help others come along in that process. And so maybe you want to help uh, uh, take more of a role of a coach. We have coaches for all sorts of things. Coaches for sports. We have coaches for leadership and business. I, I even have a, a pastoral coach that I, I meet with to help me in my leadership here. We need coaches to help develop our gifts so we can use them, so we can faithfully and effectively serve God to complete his work. Maybe the step you need to take today is the very first step. Maybe you need to make Jesus your savior and, and submit yourself to baptism. 
If you have a decision uh, you want to make today, we'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love to, to pray with you and help uh, resource you and encourage you uh, as we begin to take these next steps of faith. Maybe uh, you're like, I want to make this decision, but I don't feel like talking to anybody right now. And so you can just use the connection card at cchmd.com connect. As you scroll down, you can see next steps. And if there's a next step there, maybe one that I mentioned, maybe one that I didn't. Maybe there's one that God is prompting on your heart. Take. You mark that. And we'll follow up with you. You can check the appropriate box and, and we can help you because we want everyone to begin to grow and take their next steps on their journey with Jesus. See, God gifts everyone for ministry. No one is left out. No one has a bare toolbo- a toolbox. No one has a bare tool belt. What gifts has he given you? What gifts has he given you? And how can you use them this week? Because God gives us all gifts so we can make Jesus known, that we can make him famous. So as we close today, let me pray for us that God might use us this week with the giftings he's given us to make him know. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've not left us alone. We think that you've not left us without help, without strength, without gifts, without uh, abilities. You've not just told us to go accomplish and go do something, but not helped us in that process. And so, Father, I pray that today we'll begin to discover how you've gifted us. That, Father, maybe we'll take the steps of developing those gifts so you can use us more effectively, more faithfully, more efficiently. We can do great things. For you, Father, we pray that you would deploy us. You would send us out. And you sent Barnabas and Saul. Father, maybe you send us someplace closer by, someplace familiar. Maybe you send us someplace where there's a great need that we never knew about. Somewhere we can get to easily. Somewhere we can begin to use how you've wired us. Help others know of your love and sense your presence in their life. Father, we thank you that you uh, loved us even in uh, our darkest of days. You gave us your one and only Son, that we might have hope, we might have uh, life together with you. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go out today. We would walk in step with you. We would make you known. Father, we would feel your presence in our life, as we help others to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we are glad that you've joined us today. Like I said, here shortly after, we're going to meet at Black Rock Park. We're going to hang out for a while and enjoy some time with, 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 with our people there. And so we'd love to have you join us there. If not, we'll see you again next Sunday.